Hey, it's Nick. Welcome to the Nick Stanley Podcast. Today, I'm speaking with world champion jiu-jitsu competitor, Leo Vieira. He's known as the Yoda of jiu-jitsu because of his ability to take lessons from a lifetime of overcoming challenges on the mat and to impart that knowledge to others on how to live a better, fuller life. He did not disappoint dropping one nugget of wisdom after another. He talks about growing up poor in the rough part of Rio de Janeiro, leveraging competition to change his life. He shares insights into his epic battle with MMA beast Mark Kerr, and he even got me to open up about the first time I ever took a punch in the face and my walk of shame afterwards. He shares lessons about sport, business, and life that we can all learn from. Here's my interview with Leo. Leo Vieira is one of the most successful jiu-jitsu competitors of his generation. He's a two-time ADCC world champion and Brazilian jiu-jitsu world championships gold medal winner. After retiring as a competitor, he created Checkmat, a jiu-jitsu team which has trained numerous world champions and inspired thousands of jiu-jitsu students across the world. Checkmat has a strong presence across the globe, from the Rio de Janeiro favelas to more than 500 dojos on six different continents. Countries include Germany, Australia, Italy, Switzerland, Portugal, Morocco, Israel, China, Serbia, Qatar, among many others, along with more than 100 locations in the United States. He is also the 1FC Championship Vice President of Grappling, one of the biggest promoters in the world of various martial arts events. Despite all that he does, he still finds time to pop in to his various dojos in the Southern California area to teach students and impart lessons from a lifetime of experience in jiu-jitsu. I can attest to this personally when I spent a few minutes minutes grappling with Leo at his dojo by Leo Vieira in Seal Beach, during which time he manhandled me like a child, all the while keeping a smile on his face. Leo, so good to have you on the show today. How you doing? I'm doing good. Uh, thanks for having me. What an what introduction. I'm going to take you. <laughs> I'm going to take you with me. <laughs> <laughs> Just be your promoter. Uh, very good. No, yeah, it's uh, been a, a good journey with a good surprise, like uh, going to all different places and different like uh, locations and meet different people. And like, and we are here. So we still have time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you spend a lot of time in other countries now. <laughs> visiting your different locations yeah. and for different events. Is that right? The funny thing is a kid growing up in Rio de Janeiro, my mom always used to tell me because I was too early. I didn't remember, but she used to ask like what I want to do when I grow up. I say, oh, she say, always I say the same thing. My dream is flying. It's, it's a flying the airplanes. Mm -hmm. So I was by the beach and I was looking the airplanes and mom, one day I would fly over there. I want to go in the wings. She said, no, you don't have to go in the wings. You go inside, you know? <laughs> and, uh, but our reality was, that like uh, was very far from flying in the flights like back in the time. And uh, my first flight experience was already adults flying to Sao Paulo, to Rio de Janeiro to work. And now like uh, be visiting a lot of different countries, spreading the jiu-jitsu culture. It's funny to do what you're dreaming to do. Jiu-jitsu was this vehicle that allowed all these other dreams to come true as well. Yeah, I saw the jiu-jitsu and the way they do is a bridge between people. I thought it was just a martial arts, but uh, what I realized is like what I do with Checkman, it's a big network that make a bridge between different country, different people, different culture. 
and everybody use the jujitsu to make this bridge strong and make a huge network in a very healthy environment. Yeah. That's interesting. I was a soccer player Uh, and I did a semester in Italy at the end of college. mm -hmm. I went over there and a lot of students found it difficult to really penetrate into the culture and actually spend time and hang out and meet people that were Italian that live there. And and some of those students had trouble breaking out of the tourist mode. Mm -hmm. And for me, because I could play football, I found uh, these pickup courts and went there uh, and just started playing with some guys. And they didn't even want to let me in because they knew I was American from my accent. I I waited around, sat there for like two hours. Finally, they let me in uh, and then earned a little bit of respect out on the on the court. And suddenly it was like, hey, we're going to this bar later. You want to come? These guys have got a party going at this restaurant. Do you want to join us there? And, And it was such a great way to get to know people in that culture in a real way. And sports can do that. It can be that yeah. penetrating line into meeting people that you never otherwise would. Yeah, I think I'd, uh, with this sport, it is exactly what you you describe. In jiu-jitsu, was not different for me. I was actually like, I was like misfit, you know, like in, in different groups. I always was not feeling enough. I was not feeling enough to be in my school. I was not always not in the sport. And the sport was making you like engage and with discipline and commitment, you break through this bubble and you start to get so confident. And then what was all my insecurity became a bridge between two different worlds that I was living for. And uh, through the sport and to be able to be, okay, I'm be from the I'm not feeling enough to become so strong and confident that so was very powerful way to express myself I always was a, a very quiet shy but uh, the way I was stepping the mats is like uh, was the expression myself like uh, what's all my anxieties as a kid it was the way that I communicate myself with the world and competitions at a high level was making these this everybody like uh, giving me a voice and later on I understood like how powerful is a martial arts how make me face all my fears how make me face all my limitation and make me accomplish so much in my life and then later okay so that's what I want to spread maybe that's the purpose of my life you know so jiu-jitsu was the voice that uh, that was using to spread like the word how it should be building those bridge of course there is a lot of different sports but in jiu-jitsu it's like a you have to be very honest about yourself. Like uh, there are a lot of limitations you have to be facing and every day you win and you lose on the mats. And that is a very good learning from a, a life perspective on the mats. When you learn that this sport is not just uh, arm bars and chokes, it's not just like a beat and beat up. It's also it's a, a way that you can it make a life survive in lifestyle. That's a, that's it's amazing sport. Yeah, it seems like your journey with jujitsu, what you learned in the dojo helped you to overcome these insecurities that you had out in the world and enabled you to build this confidence that took you to a place not just where you succeeded on the mat, but even after your career ended, succeeded arguably even more in building a business and becoming an an ambassador for the sport to the world. Yeah, that's take me to like dojo in Seal Beach, all my schools. It's helped the community give back to 
to the community. I saw how much change in my life, my friends, uh, my brothers, my family, my kids, you know, and then like, and then like, okay, it continues. It's not a team that we, we training athletes, a high level performance and professors, but also a uh, big number is like a students part of part is like a sport or the hobby that help you to get fit and training, but also face a lot of your mentally issues and like, and deal with a lot of things in daily. I used to running a lot. I used to biking or swimming. So a lot of sports, you do sports, but your mind, it's always uh, in something. So you're always mm -hmm. thinking something else and you work out. With jujitsu, it's about decisions and consequence. You consistently decision consequence. Everything what happened, it's consequence about decisions you do. It's yeah. exactly the life experience. Like where you live in now, or the consequence that you get in now is the about decision we did in the past. So jujitsu shows so much. You cannot train jujitsu and thinking about what you're going to eat or what's the, no, you have to be very present, right. which is very hard nowadays with this all social media, with all things, everybody, like it's hard to be present. And jujitsu teaches you how to be present, how to make decisions, how to control your panic, how to make right decisions as a, as a first time. That's why they compare jujitsu as a chess, a game of chess. The problem is when you play chess, it's one time to another time. I move one piece and I have to wait you move another piece. In Jiu-Jitsu, there are not such a rules. So you can be moving piece as fast as the other person. So right. if I don't catch you the time, imagine if you play chess and I can play as fast as you can. Right. It's like you have to move and how fast you can make right decisions over the circumstance that happening with you over there. It's amazing. And, uh, teaches like a lot of things that sometimes we just thought it would be a martial arts. I did chat with several of the professors at your Seal Beach school and uh, just asked them some questions about you. And they time and again came back to your ability to think under pressure. The thinking skills came up again and again, rather than he's a beast, he's stronger than everybody, <laughs> which yeah. you are a very strong man. Uh, there's no doubt about that. But the I, I found that interesting that people kept coming back to your brain as opposed to your body when describing your style of jujitsu. Can you give us just a little insight into that? I think it was just a life, you know, I Genetic, I'm not tall, I'm not strong. I was always a small kid or I was small for my group. And I never was rapid and strong. So I was with my shape of okay for martial art, but not like a six pack, like people showing up in the academy, looking to me and my students and they always go to the big guy, you know, rip it and say, hey, I would, I would like to learn jiu-jitsu, you know, and I get a lot of times so when people say, oh, it's, that's the guy, the professor. They look at me and you can, I can see the frustration. He's a professor? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, because uh, you picture it like the professor for martial arts has to be that guy, tough, yeah. big, like me. I don't have that look. But grow up in this sport, which is your size doesn't really matter. 
You know, it's all about technique, leverage, but also make me learn and survive, you know, and like thinking so much under the pressure because everybody, when everybody knows jiu-jitsu, the size matters. So I learned how use my limitation, how use the timing, how the strategy can help me, how like my, like facing big opponents, people with more experience and having stronger than me also give me the skills to teach people how to do that when they facing opponent that bigger than them. Well, it's interesting. So when I was in middle school, there was this other kid that had a locker next to mine and he was bigger than everybody. And he was a bit of a bully. He was always pulling something whenever we ended up at the lockers next to each other. And one morning we got there really early and it's myself, a friend of mine is nearby and this guy, he shoves me just shoves me out of the way to go to his locker. And I had decided I wasn't going to let him push me around anymore. And somebody had told me, hey, you just stand up to him. He'll back right down. That didn't necessarily turn out to be true. Yes. Uh, So I come back and I shove him and I said, hey, I'm just trying to get my stuff out of my locker. Can you just let me do that? And before I even know what happens, this guy pops me in the face I mean, cracks me in the eye. I didn't know what the saying was about seeing stars until that happens, right? He knocked me silly with his first punch because I did not know it was coming whatsoever. The friend of mine just put his head down. He didn't want anything to do with the situation because he was scared of this guy too. Mm-hmm. And I left in shame in the in the moment because this guy had had pushed me around. And it was maybe two weeks later, there was another kid and he's doing the same thing to this other kid outside of a class. But this kid was he was really quiet, but he had like a certain intensity to him. And the guy's shoving this smaller guy and he's saying, hey, I don't I don't want to do this. I don't want to fight you. And the bully guy pops the smaller kid, just like he did to me. Right. Because I I was a tiny guy when I was in junior high, too. And the little guy, I mean, a switch flipped and he pummels the bully, beats this guy until a teacher pulls him off. And and I thought a couple things in that moment. One, I thought. I need to be friends with that little guy. Uh, I like his style. And then uh, as I get older, my brother becomes a wrestler. He was a CIF champion wrestler, really good. Same way. He wasn't Mr. Outgoing tough guy, but he was really tough when the moment came. And I noticed a lot of these wrestlers, we had a mat in our garage or our house. So a lot of these other wrestlers would come over to train. And I did start to notice a pattern there with a lot of these guys that were really tough, were quiet and kind, and just they had a different gear when they got out on the mat. And the first time I ever crossed paths with you, because you pop in over here at the Seal Beach Dojo, and we just crossed in passing. Mm -hmm. You were in normal clothes, Mm -hmm. as was I. I didn't know who you were. And I think Alvin, uh, one of the co-owners of the dojo, introduced us. And I immediately was t- taken right back to high school, down to middle school, where I went, I don't know who this guy is. And he seems really nice and he's quiet and he's polite, but he's got that intensity in his eyes. I thought this guy is not one to be messed with. And he's somebody I need to make friends with, too. <laughs> uh, so that was my first 
uh, minor interaction with you before <laughs> right. I even knew who you were and then later found out. I want to explore that a little bit because mm. that seems to be part of the jujitsu culture in a yep. big way. A part of the culture is being disciplined and respectful mm-hmm. and not starting fights. In mm-hmm. fact, it's trying to avoid mm-hmm. fights. And I, I just wanted you to expand on that yeah. a little bit more. This is exactly the reason of a Dojo Seal Beach. So the jiu-jitsu community for the city that are supporting school was 100%, the school was 100% designed for kids. Like, it doesn't mean it's like the kids who suffer bully or the bullied kids, but uh, the jiu-jitsu give you this balance. I saw those kids that bully in the school, they come to the jiu-jitsu, they learn how to calm down and control the intensity. Yeah. At the same time, I saw those kids that suffer bully, they come to the school very insecure and then became confident. What I say is like jiu-jitsu give you a balance in your intensity. You learn the practice, daily practice with all these martial arts, give a confidence that you control yourself, that you can be violent as much as you need. At the same time, you can be calm as much as you need. So in situations like that, you're going to be able to escalate your violence and control your violence as much as you need. So, and that's what we say, like the magic behind the, the martial arts, the jiu-jitsu, it's uh, the difference between you and the other kid was like the other kid, he knew it that he, he expecting in advance what was an engagement. He's expecting the reaction. So you was at the surprise. And the bullies, they know that. So they know who they can affect. And then it doesn't matter if you say, look, you stand up for yourself. Just look in his in the eyes. You push him back. No, like you be ready to all the consequences. The yes. moment that you like decide to stop so you're going to have to face consequence. So the thing between both of you, so you wasn't expect, you thought that just the pushing back will stop, but you're not going to stop, mm-hmm. you know? So you have to em- embrace a little bit more at what you was not expecting and you was a surprise, you know? So probably the other kid with the tra- daily training, he was expect, he did exactly what he did, but he was already expecting the reaction and he was ahead. And that's what jiu-jitsu does. He, you are ahead of the, the situation. So the way you look, the way you, the way you look in the eyes, the way you talk, the way you manage the conversation. So you make him understand that you're nobody, that you know what you're doing. And that he still have to make decisions to if he wants to pay consequence or not. And that sometimes they will try to do something, but because you are ahead, you expecting like the possibility of the, the engagement. And that's what happened to me. So when I say that I was having problems to fit in my two groups of my, when I was a child in my school and in my street. The reason why I got my school, because I was the young and different. I was the, I was the new kid in the school. So take me some circumstances like that. You know, people push me and I have to push him back and I have to be really fighting. It was you know, for their respect, to engage their respect, say, okay, so I'm not going to touch this guy anymore, you know? And yeah. then I build my respect as a, to be myself, not to, to manage or do anything, just to be myself. But um, jujitsu is that, it's that tool that I give to, to everyone. And not just like the kids, usually we connect the kids with school and bullies, but uh, adults, so we, we, we 
that are, we suffer different things, you know, and that is, uh, that's a built confidence to, to you, not that you're going to go in the street fighting everyone, but uh, you, when you confidence to open conversation and express what you thinking, what you are and like, and then it's change, you know? Yeah, well, I think that kid could have really used a dojo because I went to high school with him and I later found out his dad would beat up on him. And that's how he grew up. Yeah. And so that's where all that anger came from. That's why he always wanted to go yeah. pick on people and fight people. I mean, I ended up feeling sorry for him yes. years later when I actually found out the yeah. situation. And he was somebody who needed yeah. the guidance of the professors you guys But yeah, but have. you can see like every behind every bully that is a, a violence like uh something it's a home or is a it's parents or it's cousins friends that is someone being violent with their kid and yeah. he need a payback that's what he learns so that's why they would working with the kids you can you kind of work with the parents also so mm-hmm. with, with their friends or the environment to fix the kids attitude but you're right you don't see kids of uh, the professors jujitsu going to the school and bullying other kids just because oh my father is a martial artist so I'm gonna be martial artist you know it acts like it's a it's the opposite like you see a lot of those kids that are training as much engaged in the sport is more self control they have mm-hmm. you know yeah. mm-hmm. that's where that quiet intensity comes from they don't need to <clears throat> put it out there and try to push people around. Let's go back to your beginning. You mentioned you were at a a school and there were kind of two different worlds for you and you didn't fit into either one. How did you grow up? I grew up in Rio de Janeiro in a very similar as a Seal Beach, like a beach place in Ipanema. So very nice, noble place, uh, neighborhood, but we don't afford to live there. My f- the only re- reason we live there was because my father worked in the building for the place that we live, right? So my father worked as a super, super- uh, Superintendent. Yeah, yeah, taking care of the building, you know, like open, closed door, drive, fixing this and that. So we live there. Right. So Rio is very like separate schools. So uh, public schools, it's no good quality of a, of a school. And it's usually like just for like people from favela, ghetto, people doesn't have uh, incomes, low income. But private schools, it's, it's those schools they have. Uh, so most middle class and high class and they go to private school. Okay. So I grew up, that's why I say, I grew up in a very nice neighborhood but going to school that it was inside the favela. Right. So inside the favela, all other kids are seven years old, 10 years old. They will look at me and say, oh, what are these playboy coming here? Because the playboy is the slam that they use to people who live in the street, close to the beach. Yeah. So why this, why this, uh, this kid coming to, to, to public school? So he's, he don't belongs to us. He doesn't live in the ghetto. He doesn't live here. Why he's coming here? So that's why I was the different. In my street, all the kids was people who live in the, my building or live in the street for medium, medium class. Yeah. So I, my father was the one who was working for them. Yeah. So that always was a feeling that I, oh, like, I'm, you not belong here. Right. So. So you didn't belong in either so world. So I was, uh, I was not finding like, a, what, 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 who am I? So I have to be with this kid? Because I was, I was in the morning 
in the school are not feeling this group because they don't see me as a part of this group. Yeah. So all afternoon I was playing with those kids, but they always feeling better than me because of this, you know? And then with jujitsu, help me to engage. Maybe because I'm fighting to myself, maybe because I'm fighting to protect them. Because that's what you learn jujitsu. You start taking sides, you know, and you have to take sides. And I, I never could see something unproportional of somebody bullying the other kids. I step to protect. And this gives me the respect in the both place because I'll, because I'll fight for myself or fight to protect someone. And then, like you said, that I'll, people was looking at me and say, oh, I want to be friend of this guy because <laughs> yeah. I feel protect and right. he's not, he not charging me anything, you know? Yeah. So I'm not taking their food. You know? <laughs> right. Anything from there. I say I want to be just friend with him, and I, then make me be friends in the school, walking with all the kids from the favela, and also make me be friend of my street and walk with all the rich kids in my street. Yeah, and then later the sport make a bridge between both of them. Mm-hmm. All the kids, all my my two separate groups start walking together because jujitsu was connected. Everybody was practicing jujitsu at that point. Everybody knew jujitsu, and everybody was then they look at each other as a friend. They're not looking at each other anymore as a social difference or status or anything. And while playing, having fun in the beach or in the street together, yeah. you know? And that was later when I became, I was very powerful. But when I started, I didn't know. So actually I didn't like jujitsu. Okay. So then my first experience was too much grappling. I, I was fun from Bruce Lee. I yeah. would throw punches and kick. <laughs> After one week, no punching, no kick. I was very frustrated. I said, no, I didn't like it. I want to learn punching, kick. I don't want to, you know, hugging nobody. But the problem was one girl, she was beat me the whole time in the class. Okay. And for a 10 years old boy, it's like... Your ego gets smashed. So yeah. I say, I would come back next day. Okay, I'm going to pay her back. And then she, she smashed me and again. <laughs> I come back next day. My father, he was saying, hey, did you like jiu-jitsu? He, he, my father was working so much. He never had a time to go watch. So he just like uh, asked me, how was jiu-jitsu today? Actually, he was asking, how was the karate? He always thought it was karate. He just realized it was jiu-jitsu five years later. Okay. <laughs> I said, Daddy, uh, I didn't like it because I didn't have a punches and kick, but uh, uh, but I have to do something else. I don't want to say that uh, I get smashed for a girl, you know? Yeah. And he said, okay, but are you going to continue? You'll stop. I said, no, I'll stop later but I have to do something else. <laughs> but every day I was going there, she was smashing me, smashing me, smashing me. But uh, I also was smart. I said, look, if you work against that girl, against me, which is I'm stronger than her, will help me with my, against my, my friends, which is bigger than me. Right. So, and then like, instead they quit, I say, no, I'm not going to quit. I'll, I'll stay. And then was the biggest thing that I did in my life. So, and then I, more I learned was more that I, that I love this sport too. And I make all my friends. I don't remember to beat that girl. I remember that she smashed me every time, every day. <laughs> but that was, I need to, like my ego. Yeah. Like that's what the jujitsu give you the balance, right? So help you to be confident, but also help you to find out that someone smaller than you is going to beat you up so bad that you're going to be rumble. 
Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. You don't even remember the point where you ended up on a level playing field or, or finally beat her, but you remember her beating up on you. I, th- I think she stopped to train in jujitsu before I, I'll be able to pay back. Oh, okay. <laughs> but at that point, I already love the sport. And at that point, I already understand. I, I think at, at that point, I was not really looking to pay back because I really already now understood What's the jujitsu is about? Right. Who was the professor of that school? And I'm I'm just gonna preface this for everybody that doesn't know jujitsu. They call uh, the instructors the teachers. They call yeah. them professors yeah, in jujitsu. Yeah. So who was that first? Was a uh, professor Romero Cavalcanti, Jacaré. We call him Jacaré. He was uh, living in the, in the neighborhood that we live pretty close to my father. So that's why he was opening the school and open a kids program. So he invites me. To, to be part of this first uh, uh, group of kids. So, and like for the group that I started with, like I was one of the, the youngest and then stay f- with him, always trained with him. I took my black belt 10, 10 years later. Yeah. Oh, wow. So yeah. and what age did you start? About eight. And I got my black belt as a 20 years old, actually. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So you trained with him for a very long time and he yes. was an important mentor. Yeah, he for was you. like my kind of my father. My parents was very close to them. He was taking me to different competition. You know, he was like teaching me a lot of things that um, a lot of conversation that sometimes I didn't have with my father was heavy with him. So he was like a, those uncle very close to you that taught a lot of things for your life. You know, so in that, I was a kid. So I was like, in my, my perspective of life is be like my father. So I want to be like my father, work like my father. But I honestly, when I become a teenager, I didn't like what my father do. You know, so it's like not wrong what he does, but it's just like a hard, hard work, no timing to enjoy Ipanema, which is one block by the beach. Right. My father was working very hard for 35 years in the same job, you know, so, and I love it. And I, my father was the, the example of loyalty and simplicity and to me you know honestly but uh, that job wasn't that job that i want for my life but my perspective when i became 17 my father was okay so you start working tomorrow so i start to work with him mm-hmm. that's when my coach say leo why are you missing class i said because i st- i have to work helping home say no how much money are you making and then i, I said and he said no i'm gonna give exactly the same money but it work for me that's when I clicks. I say, oh, I can have the same lifestyle as my professor have. I can live in Rio de Janeiro and have his lifestyle. Going to the beach, enjoy it. Like it's, that was about, that's when the sports clicks to me. Right. So I, that one started all my conversation. What I have to do to have your lifestyle or discipline, training. You're going to be teaching. You're going to be a professor. You're going to compete. The co- competition back at that time doesn't have a big perspective as you have today. But we, I like that I was starting the sport that became very popular lately with uh, all MMA, martial arts, especially with UFC. Mm-hmm. And then when the sport became popular, I was already the instructor, purple belt, you know, getting brown belt and became one of the professor and competing in the sport that was popular and was already have a big name in the sport. So I was blessed to be in the right place in the right timing. With your father, what was the biggest lesson that you learned from him? I think it's exactly like the, how honest he was, like no shortcuts. 
I remember that was very, that some moments in their life, my father was always quiet, not much like the guy who let's talk about life. But he was teaching me so much about how he lived his life. I was watching how he handled a lot of situations, how humble he was. Sometimes simple thing that I'll go to the market and as a kid, I want to buy something and then I, I take the what I have to buy. I didn't I didn't buy it. I just walked through because I was thinking something else and I go home. My mom would say, no, did you buy? Because you didn't give me the change. So you give me the whole money. I say, oh, I forget to buy. Yeah. I just walk through and then I forget to buy. Yeah. I say, no. And then my father, my parents say, okay, so go and pay. I say, no, no, I'm so embarrassed. I don't want to go. Yeah. And they will say, no, you go. So I don't see one situation that I saw my parents, my father being like corrupt or doing something to take advantage. So I never saw this. So I grew up this. So the lesson that my father was how he sacrificed his life to raise me and my, and my brothers in the place that we grow up. Yeah. Because he couldn't come back to his countryside. He could make a little bit of money, come back and, and live his life the way all, all his, his brother did. But he sacrificed his life to give me the opportunity that I experience today. So that's one. Yeah. And the second, how honestly he did all his job. So right. it was, uh, that's the big lesson that I take to me. Yeah. And did both... Your mom and dad grow up yeah. without education yeah. and they just had to work yeah. my, with physical labor. Yeah. My father, like he learned how to read, read the Bible. And I was one to help him in. Uh, he just signed his name. That's how I might remember as a kid. Today he reads. Yeah. He doesn't write. My mom, she was educated until the second grade. But my parents both moved from countryside to big city to uh, to new perspective like to help their family my mom come from a family with 20 kids she has 20 oh, wow. sisters and brothers yeah, yeah. my father 11 yeah. so i grew up with i have a, over 100 cousins right and the thing and the most important the most like a uh, funny thing is like our group is very together. So Christmas in my high, in in my grandma's house it was like company party. So yeah. it was always nice, but the family always very very friendly, very in love each other. You know, so I grew up with a very good example of uh, cousins, uncles, and like uh, grandmothers. I was was super nice. Yeah. But my parents they make this. They have a lot of brothers and sisters. They went to big city, work, and then came back and buy different land or home and then live their life. But my parents stays because I know that uh, they want to make, we grow up in this environment to change our life. They live with us in the United States nowadays. Back in the time was, we cannot expect it was, we, we didn't know that all this will happen. Clearly that investment paid off. I mean, they were doing it for you kids and now you can see the, the fruits of all that labor. Yeah. So, and then I think that uh, the mentality they had is like, it's such a nice experience when you leave something good, but when you, when you see your kids accomplish their dreams or accomplish things that they want to, it's such a nice. My son is 15 years old. My daughter is 14. When I saw they accomplish things that make them happy, fulfill my heart. Yeah. So I think it's, I learned from that. I saw how their sacrifice they did was because they was happy to see our dream coming true. Now I see my, my kids and I, I can feel exactly how they were feeling before. You know? Right. Now, was it around 17 when that professor said, I'll give you money to keep training? Is that when you realized you were pretty good at this? 
Yes, yeah, that's when I realized. But the sport was popular, like as a, okay, you can believe and have a nice lifestyle. So the sport was just, okay, you can, you can be, if you're the top, you can open school and, and survive and okay. have your life. That's when I realized that in the worst, that's what can happen to me if I'm the top of the sports. Right. But uh, I was also like uh, learning, you want to learn about everything. I was a very curious person. Yeah. So I want to, you know, like learn a lot of different things. When do things really start to take off for you competition wise? Color belts, purple, brown belt, 17, 18, 19 was very important because it's like tells you how strong you're going to be as a black belt. Okay. So, but the black belt, that's when you show who you are. That's when the most important is. Right. And that was when I was already 20, 21 years old. Mm -hmm. So the first five years of black belt, it's really important to tell how strong as a competitor you are. And also back in the time, like how many people is going to be training with you? Because people back in the time, they want to training with good competitors, not with good coach. Right. Now the coach will behind. Okay. So the good coach sometimes doesn't have to be the good competitor, mm -hmm. but if, and there is a lot of opportunities nowadays, but before doesn't have those opportunities and you have to be very high class in your, in your competition regarding to have a successful school. So for you at that time, winning wasn't just about winning. It was part of the process. <laughs> it was, but it was part of- It was of, about surviving. Right. Yeah. Right. You see this life that could be possible for you if you perform well. Yeah. Do you remember Luis Suarez, the- footballer uh, yeah. uh, came out of Uruguay yeah. and then became a European superstar. And in the, there was a world cup and he bit a player on the shoulder while they were playing. I mean, just lashes his teeth into him and everybody went crazy. And, and he has some good sides and some bad sides to his, his personality. But when a reporter asked him about why would you bite this guy, that's going a step too far. And he said, it's because you don't understand where I came from. He said, I was coming out of a really poor lifestyle and football was my way out of it. Mm -hmm. And so it wasn't just about winning games. It was life or death for me. Even now I'm rich, I'm successful. It's hard for me to turn that off sometimes mm -hmm. when I'm in high level competition. And he said, I shouldn't have bit the guy, mm -hmm. but I still have that part of me that thinks it's going to change my life yeah. for a, in a really awful way if we lose. And a really good way if we win that is a whole different place to come from in competition i can see like a lot of kids facing this like i work with project with the, with kids in the favela in brazil so nowadays even if we have like a lot of different perspective in the sport but i still have people who embrace it that way it's nowadays we say a competition is a good feedback about what you're learning how the process it is there are a lot of benefits to compete but back in my time so competition is like a winning and lose. It's like your life depending like this, your future depends on this. So uh, we didn't have a perspective like, oh, you win and then you're going to have a student. Otherwise, like you're not going to be, you quit. So a lot of people quitting, a lot of people stopping and go to a different job, you know, because they not, there wasn't enough. And because that feeling with me was not, I, was not, I, I always was feeling not enough was make me be sharp. I always want to be ready for anything that happened. So I was training different martial arts. I was making all my discipline take me to like very committed to the sport, uh, not partying, not going this, not going that, like, because I want to make this happen. I knew that only through the sport, I have to really fight 
yeah. to be able to do what I could do. To have the life you want to have down the line. Now this part is yeah. so spread and big, so you don't have to face, you don't have to see the competition this way, but it's still like a lot of people that are still facing like a so struggling situations that they see like, uh, okay, so if I don't good in jujitsu, like, I don't know what to do. Like my brother, he has a very high dyslexia. Mm. So his school for him was tough. He always like repeating, like, uh, like repeating grades. Repeating grades because yeah. he was very struggling. He make, a, he need like a help. And like I said, like a public school, you don't, in Brazil, it's, you don't have this. So, and then we had this conversation because I was the oldest and he was say, Leo, I already decided my life. He was like 15 years old. I will be good on this. If I don't be good in jiu-jitsu, I don't like, then I, what am I gonna do? I'm gonna work as a, our father does. Yeah. So, but uh, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna be the best that I can do in this sport. And he became 10 times world champion. Like he was the one who owns his uh, first school in this. Like uh, he decided, he'll, I'm not smart to go to school. I'm not like, I, I have a, you know, like hard to, things but uh with jiu-jitsu that's my like uh, my life so he's very successful he opened his school he he's the one live in portugal he helping to manage this all my team in portugal mm. he have like three four different like schools across the world so he's became successful athlete successful business uh school but he was one that from my family that embraced their ways like i say no nah, it's fact that i i struggling with the school so i have to make this happen there no there no another way right and that's it. Leandro, is that his that's name? That's Rico, that's Ricardo. Oh, okay. Leandro okay. Walls was the smart, he was the clever one. Okay. Everything was very easy to him, like school, college, easy. I don't know if you remember this, but this was, it was a few years ago. Your daughter was interested in playing soccer yeah. and then Leandro brought her out uh-huh. and then he brought a couple other family members out and then I brought my kids uh-huh. and everybody you know, just played for like two hours. Uh, and he was such a dynamic, interesting guy. And and I love the way he expressed himself. He's just wild and has a lot of flair and he's trying to put it through everybody's legs. And the guy really loves life. Uh, yeah, yeah, he's he's a fun guy. And our education was through jujitsu. Like, uh, my parents just keep us in the jiu-jitsu the whole time. And jujitsu was what opened opportunity for a scholarship that me and my brother did. Mm -hmm. Uh, the youngest, Leandro. So he could, that we moved to Sao Paulo, we went to the college and we, that's when we start from Sao Paulo, we came to United States. Okay. He was the one that he stayed in Rio de Janeiro. He owned his own school that he's, okay. he grew up without uh, a college education, but he did his, uh, as his job as a good way as a sport and pushing the people to do the jiu-jitsu. Let's jump to the Mark Kerr match, which I definitely yeah. wanted to discuss. How old were you when that happened? This was in 2000. I'm yeah. from 76. So okay. I, yeah. So I was uh, 24. So you had you finished college at this point? No, because I started college very late. Because I, when I moved to Sao Paulo, I was from Rio de Janeiro. I became very popular in the sport, but I'm not. college was not part of my my mind because right. there's no scholarship in Brazil there's no scholarship for sports okay so it's very rare like schools uh, college give scholarship then I start teaching in Sao Paulo then I met somebody that owns one college we became very close friend and I say look uh, like I know I'm not that young anymore but I want to do college and say okay so I can give the scholarship uh-huh. and then I that's what I said I said no I said I don't have to give to me I want to give to my brother 
Yeah. So then I said, no, I give to you and to your brother. So we both went to college and then like uh, my brother did marketing and something and I did physical therapy. Okay. And that and was in Sao Paulo. This was in Sao Paulo. Okay. So that was my connection. I was already high, high professional athlete, coach and college at this, doing college at the same time. So the Mark Kerr match comes just before going to school. You're 24 and I will put a link to the match in the show notes. Somebody sent me a video of that match. Listener, to set the scene for you, so you've got Mark Kerr at this time, an American. He's regarded by many as the best fighter in the world. He was a wrestling champion in college where, fun fact, he beat uh, Randy Couture in the Division One Collegiate Championships. Mark then goes on to win the USA Freestyle Wrestling Championships, and then he turns to MMA and wins the UFC heavyweight division back to back. And then he went to Pride, which was in Japan, and he was just destroying one person after another. I mean, he was at that time, he's 6'3", 255 pounds, zero body fat. I mean, just ripped all muscle and had the training to know what to do with it. If you were going to cast a movie for a terrifying special forces guy who could rip your arms off, it would be Mark Kerr in 2000. And in this video, you see him standing there and it's an open division. And then Leo steps out opposite him. I think you're 5'10", quite a bit shorter and nearly 100 pounds lighter than than Mark at that time. I mean, it really looked like David versus Goliath in this match. Coming into it as a viewer, I had seen with my family being uh, involved in wrestling, we would watch the NC2A championships every year. And so I'd seen Mark win before, liked him, and it was like, oh, he's an American and I'm all fired up and let's see what happens in this match. And about a minute or two into it, I'm just watching Leo, this little guy, escape one dangerous situation after another. And he's just so quick and smart and able to evade everything that Mark Kerr is trying to do. As I'm watching this video, I'm like, I don't know who this little Brazilian guy is, but I like him. This is awesome. And I want to ask you, Leo, what is it like in the minutes leading up to that match? Like, what are you thinking? You see him, this beast of a man. What's going through your head at that moment? Yeah, I, I think the first thing is like, uh, it's a safe environment, right? So it's a martial arts. We fight. We, of course, we want to hurt each other. But at the same time, there is a trust that if you tap, we'll stop. Right. So this being said, if everything goes worse, like you're still able to tap. And I know how to protect myself to not get hurt before this happens. Because it can happen. Sometimes you don't have a time and you can get very big injuries. But uh, with my skills, I, I have to be training and competing with guys like him. So it was not something new for me, mm. you know? So it was the first time that was fighting with a no gi. So usually we have grips, we have gis. So it was my first time competing in the rules that I don't know. That rules was made by the Sheikh Tahnun, a Sheikh of Abu Dhabi. He came up with a rules that making all the different grappling martial arts one rules that unify everybody. Mm. So... It's not about only taking down or pin the, the back in the ground, but it's not just about the submission. It's about like, 
it's a combination. It's giving you opportunity for both fights. So my strategy is... And, and by opportunities, you mean because you can score points and yes, win the match that exactly. way. Or you can submit. Yeah. So it's like opponent. being the back in the ground doesn't give him points unless he, he take me down. Or unless like he's been my side or mount position. So I knew it, how to score the points. And I knew how to avoid. You know, of course, there is a lack of difference like be strong and skilled. Like, but I knew I trust so much my skills. So when I, when I saw his name in the bracket, I said, oh my God, man, I'm like he's gonna kill me, of course. <laughs> but at the same point, my friends came and said, hey, Leo, like uh, in the second, like it's a bracket. So try to make him get tired as much possible because the next Brazilian who fight with him, he has to be so tired for a week and try to beat him. Yeah. So that was the strategy. So mm -hmm. maybe you're not gonna win, but take his energy as much possible for the next one. I say, okay, I'll do my best. My strategy was like a pull guard, be in the bottom, be pushing, 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 and make he get like, a, make him move as much possible. But when I pull guard, he wasn't on top of me. He was so strong that I never faced somebody strong at that point. So he was squeezing my arms or my foot just with the part of his wrist, his hands. And there was a point to tap. I said, oh my God, no. He was squeezing uh, in that point that I was in the half guard, I was in the bottom. So he was hugging me and used only with one hand, he was choking my neck. Mm. And then I usually like nobody choke nobody from that position, but he was so strong that the choke was affected. I say, oh my God, I cannot hand, I cannot stay here or I'll tap. Yeah. So I put his, I hide my neck and I put his hand on my head. He starts squeezing my head <laughs> and it was so strong that I said, no, I give my neck again. I said, no, choke, it's better choke than squeezing my head. It's going to break my head. At that point, I realized oh, I cannot be in the bottom because it's going to be all his strength, all his power to smash me. And then that's why I decided to change the strategy and I start stand up. What was going against the whole strategy that my coaches said. So, and then I start stand up and then I start fighting, surviving and fighting stand up. You know, I didn't have all the skills to take him down. I was not like a wrestler. I was the jujitsu player, but I was very good in reaction. So I was using his attack to counter attack. I was making him get tired as much possible. And then I realized that I could beat him because the rule, if we don't score points, we have uh, overtime. And my goal became, okay, let's make as much overtime possible. I'm not going to let him score points. Yeah. So I was letting him take me down, but always with the counterattack to escape. Mm -hmm. And every time he wants to rest, I was provoking for he tried to take me down again and I'll escape. And then I was doing it again, doing it again, doing it again. So the end of the 10 minutes, we was no points. Right. So this allowed us to go to five more minutes. But what people doesn't know is like that was a new sport, you know. So they was building the rules, by the way. So right. and that was uh, back in the time there was a supremacy about Brazilians. So we we have been winning all the division. Marquez was the first one that could like break this. Okay. So they don't want. He was the the, the hope that this is gonna be. It's the first time that someone not Brazilian can win. So they actually like they help him because he said, I say, I'm too tired. I'm not going to do the overtime. And then they come up with new rules that uh, say, okay, Liu got minus one. So they give me penalty because I was stepping back. So they're not supposed to 
use their rule after the time. Right. But uh, they use because they want to promote him. I did read there was the, a lot of controversy yeah, over but that decision. Like, did it yeah. change the fact that I survived for 10 minutes? Right. Did it change the, the fact that we're supposed to have another fight with five minutes? Right. You know, that make me popular. Yeah. So the fight's finished. He went to his locker room and he started like puke and he's sick. He was super tired. And then when he has to come back to the next round, he said, no, I'm not going to come back. They call me and say, hey, Marquette is out. So you have to replace him. Right. But they give the time enough to Marquette recover and then Marquette come back later. He not just came back, but he win the whole division. He win three more fights. He became the world champion in the open class. But it was a very good experience. Right. It was a very good fight that, that I didn't win, but uh, what I win was bigger than just the title. Like, like the way that I faced, the way that I fought very similar against somebody three times bigger than me was proof that we want to prove as a martial arts efficient. Yeah. yeah. And it well and it catapulted your yes, fame. My, yes. It was changed the whole thing of my my life. Yeah. Open opportunities to engage students, sports, even like uh, move to United States later. And that really was a turning point in your yes. yeah. All my life. Career yes. in your life. Yeah. So afterwards, what was the public perception of that match and what specifically did it? do for you from that point forward I, I, that, after that thing was like everybody was oh my god jiu-jitsu is very efficient as a no gi because uh, we thought it was just with gi mm-hmm. but we start seeing like uh, and that competition was the first competition so every year they're gonna make tournaments and every year we have the opportunity to show how much the jiu-jitsu was very powerful as a grappling because in wrestling judo a lot of grappling is just like a top game Mm-hmm. So they, they wrestle in the ground, but a, a lot of top games. So we was the only one that are grappling with the back in the ground, looking for sweeps, submissions with the back in the ground. Yeah. So that we bring a different perspective for the martial arts. You can find a lot of striking. You find a lot of sports to take them down and control the opponent. But you don't find so much as a submission. You don't find... Special, you find only one that fight with the back in the ground. That's what's jujitsu. Right. So that was the big mark that changes everything. It showed how our sport was strong. Start with this grappling and became more successful with UFC, with Hoysi Gracie, pulling guard and fight against big athletes. Right. You and then with and his back in the ground and yeah. winning. Yeah. Yeah. If you're enjoying this episode, please take a moment to rate five stars, hit the subscribe button, and if you're on Apple Podcasts, Leave a review. And now, back to the show. What was your lifestyle and training regimen like when you're in your 20s and you're trying to be the best in the world at your sport? You know, my my lifestyle at 20 was not different. I was like a 15 years old when I was a lower belt. My lifestyle as a black belt was the same discipline as a lower belt. When I realized that sport was my survivor thing, was like the way that it can take me for where I was to give me something. So I embraced this with very serious. And I was an older brother. So my parents always put the pressure on me to be the example to my brother. So whatever I do, they're going to be followed. So if you always like... A, a crazy guy, probably my brother's going to do the same thing. So 
And I took this responsibility very serious. So I never would like, oh, in Brazil, we start very early to go party and, you know, like crazy life sometimes. So I was avoiding the whole thing. So even when I have a lot of friends that go into the nightclubs and like enjoy their lifestyle, you know, I was very rare. I was a guy who was not drinking, not drinking, not using drugs, no anything. So sometimes, most of the time, so for a group of friends that was like a, the square guy, like Brazil called square. I don't know how to yeah. call him, the guy who doesn't do anything, you know, yeah. like, oh, hell, you're such a, like a old, like I was the old, old guy, Yeah, you know, in the group, but I knew what was my, my goal, right? I understand this as a, when I was a teenager. So my decision was like the commitment. So I was training, like I was fully committed me to be on the gym as much possible, training my body, training everything as much possible. Of course, like uh, I was not eating, not as a, the way supposed to, you know, supplements this, but I was very engaged with the training. Okay. Right? How and many then, days a week are we talking training? Uh, Monday to Sunday. So yeah. there no rest. I was in the gym Monday to Saturday. Sundays, I was always running or doing something else. I like to run so much back in the time and swimming, surfing. When I moved to Sao Paulo, so my discipline was very tough because I was competing as a high level competitors. And I was teaching class with a very, very responsibility. And the, the challenge that I was facing in this new place, it's because the academy that hired me to teach didn't have competition team. I think I was the first one to create like a, a fighter house or camp. So right. I brought two guys, was a, my close friends. I brought two guys that you live with me, exclusive to train with me. So there was purple belt back in the time, but was young guys, one was strong and one fast. So I can train in different ability with them. So, and I was living six hours from, from where I was to living before. So it was fully commitment from them to, I was paying their salary. I was paying like a home. I was giving like all the resources that they need. At the same time, for them was amazing experience because there was a purple belt with the opportunity to train with someone with a bigger name as a black belt to learn directly from, from them. So this environment create a lot of champions because it make they become a champion make we connect with uh, another athletes inside the academy that before it wasn't competitor place became a competitor so even Damian Maia which is a big name in UFC so he was one of the products that we have in this house because Damian he wants to compete and he was from Sao Paulo he saw me and two other athletes was competing in Sao Paulo and make a lot of noise in the city so he enjoyed to training to learn jiu-jitsu because he wants to do MMA but he was a just a white belt like a young guy wants to do a white belt so and then he came up to training with us and he ended up like uh, living some uh, training he was very dedicated he training so much and then he was uh, most of the time like living with us too because I have a big house very close to the gym to support the athletes and then I uh, like we I was taking athletes from different place to stay with me and training making camps and then Sao Paulo, my, my academy and my city over there became one of the, in our team, one of the biggest like a competition team. And everything starts for this with my discipline. So my discipline was to train those athletes, training myself. 
And later on, I start with the college. And then like uh, I was waking up 5 a.m., going to the college, come back 12 o'clock and then training myself 12 to 4 o'clock and then teach class uh, 6 to 9 and then go to sleep very late to wake up next day 5 in the morning again to start everything again. That was for five years. It was tough. And so you were in the gym basically 12 o'clock to 9 o'clock then. Yeah, yeah. That's why my house was like a share wall to wall with the gym that was there for the whole time now what supplements were you taking during that time well honestly like i never took any supplements oh, just fruits just fruits and okay. eating like uh, and i eating like a very clean during the camps and the competition but uh i remember back in the time popular supplement was uh amino acids yeah like uh, liquids then like a whey proteins those are the most like popular but uh but not even like a protein shake or anything no, like that i grew up as a kid I didn't have money to afford like supplements. Mm -hmm. So I was just eating food and fighting. And I was already winning competition. So, and then there's no reason why you're going to supplement because if you have a result in performance, I was very genetic. I was blessed to be able to, without uh, supplements, beating people with uh, supplements. Mm -hmm. And then I was not making sense. Why should I use, yeah. you know, but Later on, like I understand, okay, how important it is, but I was already too late because I never had the educations. I think the correct, the, the right education. But when I teach my athletes, I saw how the important it was. Mm -hmm. And then I hired a, a nutritionist. I hired like a sports a physical condition for giving conditional training. I hired like psychologist for the sport, yeah. for my athletes, for the performance, because I knew that I didn't have it, but for some, I knew it how important will be for my athletes. I was introduced then to this environment, everything to do a better performance in the, in the sport. Now, what was your lowest moment in your journey to become the world's best? Mm. I think uh, the life is fully with like uh, those moments, right? So like, but I think those are the moments that show how powerful you are too. The, maybe the first one, I think is always the hard or the biggest. You know, because it's it surprise you, and the first one you don't know how to react. Like I told you, like with those two guys, I brought you those two guys to train with me. Yeah, and then I give things to them like I never did to even make it to my brothers. So salary, food, like all friendship, like it was there no difference between me and and then. Yeah, so we share a, a lot of things, a lot of everything. I put so I invest so much, not money, but. A, like loyalty and friendship. And then one day, one of these guys, he just like decided to be by himself. And this was, was like a surprise, you yeah. know? And the way that the turn was not like the, the nice way, yeah, you know? And then like, that was a very big disappointment. You know, and it was at the same time that we had in the Jiu Jitsu team, we have a very big like a, uh, division mm. and also my professor who has taught me everything. So he also make a decisions to be with uh, another group, not with this, with this guy, but with another group and not giving support. He takes sides in one like problem that we was facing as, as a team. And then like uh, that was like, uh, what well, came everything at the same time. So like it was uh, with my professor picking sides with to support, like between, it's like a, a father who takes sides to, to when the two brothers fight. Yeah. You know? So that's hurts me. And the other was like when one of my 
It was like my son or my brother, like uh, yeah. choose to not be my my brother anymore. And like, uh, and then he left. It was a situation that I thought that I say, oh man, like it's, maybe I'm the wrong spot. Maybe I'm doing this something. And I was already making uh, physical therapy. I was facing like, uh, if I, if I'll stop or not stop. Cause I was like, it's, it's like a, I was with no floor. Not, I did. I lost everything in that time. There was when I was met my wife too. We was uh, dating back in the time, so she was my north. She was the one that strong support that helped me to get all my peace, you know, and build up together again by myself and then with with other students and then we build something was better than before that was nice because what we built after that was bigger than we was before you know and with more values so that was good overcoming but uh, the process was long was not easy you know and it was a uh, very tough and emotionally because uh, you get attached with people that are close to you and you guys share so many so many things in their life so that's that was the that was the tough when i've seen with you and frank and alvin who you for those who don't know the work together in the ownership of the seal beach dojo mm. and just how close you guys are and how important loyalty and trust is for all of you and alvin had mentioned that you don't partner with anybody for a new gym like you can't just contact leo vieira out of the blue and say hey i want to start a new mm. dojo in x or y city it's you've got to know somebody in the inner circle mm. so that there's trust from uh, the very beginning yeah i could imagine how hard that situation would have been when there was a split yeah the thing is like aside my childhood until this into uh, that situation i was a soldier like uh, going to the war like i was just getting the mission and making the mission be accomplished so i was a captain leading my team to any battle that was sandy right so that's the way i saw so you don't make questions about the mission is you don't you don't argue with your father so yeah. i never argue with my father doesn't matter if my father was right or wrong as my thinking. So I was doing anyway because he was my father. That's the way I grew up. So you don't argue with my father. So the way I saw my team was with the same authority. So whatever they was telling me to do, I was doing. But then I realized later that the difference between my father and the team was my father was in the end, he wants to the best for me. And what I saw in the team, they, they don't want the best for the athletes. They want the best for just one or two person that is in the top of the pyramid. Mm-hmm. They make your mission going to the, for, for wrong reasons. And that's when you start arguing inside. That's when you start say, like, uh, I create a leadership over a people because I, I want people fight for freedom. I don't want people fight for their own goals, but for, uh, for everybody, you know, and people, when more they have control, more they want to control. So, and I was the voice from the other side that are two ones to make they understand the boundaries to, and the people has the rights and the professor and the student has the rights. Like uh, that was a big issue inside the team. That's why the team fights because uh, one who's in the power doesn't want to lose the power. And, but the other people doesn't want to be in this system, the martial arts culture put it as a loyalty. Okay, I'm loyal, but I'm loyal for what? 
You know, we loyal for what we believe. But uh, when we saw that the result of my loyalty, it's causing wrong things or it's not for the right cause. Like, uh, I know I'm not going to give you my loyalty. And that's when I I decided to open my own. When I opened my own, I didn't have like any skills as a leadership. I just have the power as a leadership because of I was uh, the voice of those minorities. So mm-hmm. uh, and I have a lot of people follow me because they believe that what I was doing is fair. But the, this fairness, I learned with my father. I didn't learn in my, in my jiu-jitsu team. And, and now, okay, how do I build a team that are based in, in fairness when I don't have something to copy? Then I study. I, I had to read about leadership. I had to read to about skills that I didn't have before. And I didn't know what I'm going to build. I just know which one I doesn't want to build. Yeah. So all my research then take me to the Bible. I always was a Christian and always was like, even when I'm in and out, like you always fear and, and respect God. And when the life takes you to those situations, that's when you became more spiritual because uh, then nobody can can help anymore when you have no more resource or nobody can read it that's when you have to thinking about something else like something can help you because nobody can help you mean when you hit those low points those low points and, yeah it was a very super low point at that point i say okay so what I, I don't know what to do what what should i do and then and i find all the resource that i need you know, in the Bible, I start copying the the model that that Jesus with the apostles and like the values they have, the, the way to think. And then I saw like so many answers for my questions. And then I start building my team. We, we big network, we're not a franchise. And the reason we do open franchise with uh, invitations, that model is because of the trust we want to build. I don't have a no problem to people use all our resource and share with others. I have problem when people use our resource and not share or just be selfish. So the way that we built the team, it was like about connecting by loyalty, but also by friendship. And then we became very popular. Everybody wants to, wants to enjoy us and everybody is, is would be welcome. And then we built this system that we, we teach the professor how he became a professor, how to he be a professor and like how, what is the rights. We don't create dependence. He don't need me. So I, I teach him how he be independent, but he choose to be with us because in the end, we all know that together we're strong. The, the team was, was growing that way with this mentality to not grow to be the best team or the biggest team. We never aim to be the, the world champion team. So we want to make the team that help others. We want to make the team that take people from one status and change their status, like make them be successful as a professor, successful as a business owner, successful as a competitor. So our main goal is how is a people development. And we use the jiu-jitsu as the, the way that we help people develop themselves. Jiu-jitsu as a vehicle to yeah. help people develop themselves. Yeah. And as a side consequence, there happen to have been several mm. champions that have come up through your schools, but that's not the reason you're doing it. Yeah. It's just consequence because I don't try to push people to do what they don't want to do. So we help people, we motivate them. So if you are a competitor, we're going to give you reasons to, to make you understand why you're doing 
and how much that's going to be taken is a, is a lot of commitment. And then we have the resource to make you be a world champion. So the things like um, how much that you want to pay the price. He's the only person who can pay. It's himself. Right. Well, like you yeah. said, you were in the gym nine hours a day. Yeah. Ten hours so a day. I'm sure sometimes. I cannot force someone to be nine hours a day and give their best for nine hours a day. But everybody go to the gym with a different perspective. It's not everybody wants to go to the gym has to be a world champion. We try to see, understand and that's what the professors understand what each individual has as a goal. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like we don't have one goal as academy be the world champion or my academy we're going to gonna train your own pro athletes no but we focus in, in achieve your own goals so it's individual goals and sometimes your goals change because you start falling in love with the sport and then you change okay so would you start a hobby now on you like alvin and frank so there was a hobby like there was working with a totally different things you know have their own like a lawyer office when i met them and then like they became a white belt, they start training, uh, they, they decide to make the competition, they fight and they got the belt, the blue belt and the purple belt, the brown belt. Oh, let's open the school because it would be good. Like for the community, they open the school. Now they're professors, so they don't work anymore in the office. Their hobby became the so passionate that it became their job. Now you work with a lot of young athletes in different schools. How's it different than when you came up and how do you feel young athletes should train? When I start, we didn't have so much data about like how we should start. What should we do? Not even like at so much competition. We don't know how the sport can take us to what kind of successful should I expect. Back in my time, you want to training because you want to prove for somebody else that you're strong, that you can protect yourself. That was about survive back in my time. When the competition starts, was like to show to people you was enough. Because remember, I was saying I have always feeling I'm not enough. All they take me to the competition is to prove not to me, you know, like prove to people that I was enough. I was like I'm. I can do it. I yeah. can prove that they was wrong. When if for everybody that thought they was wrong, so that's what I want to prove to them. But nowadays, there is a lot of opportunities as a jujitsu. You can become a professor. You can be just an investor in the schools. You can be a high-level professional athlete. So there is a lot of different lifestyle inside the sport. So kids nowadays, they start as a sport, but a lot of, a lot of young kids, they already start aiming to be a, a world champion as a black belt with very commitment. Mm-hmm. You know, and the data that we have to how to training kids, how to make them perform, we know how to train, how to build young athletes uh, a healthy way for they be a body to shape and like mentally strong, physically strong, and be able to perform as a lower belt and continuous performs as a higher belt. Because only once you get a black belt, it's like a reset. Everything we did before, forget. It was just experience. Right. Now it's important what you're going to do now because uh, all your titles start counting again. Mm-hmm. So people count the title by the belt. Okay. So it's you're trying to win at the purple belt yes. level. It doesn't matter how and many world champs you had until your brown belt. You start over you start at brown, belt, start over zero. Yeah. So that's when you start your professional career. Something that's going on in a lot of youth sports are parents driving the process instead of the kids driving the process. Almost professional level training when kids are yeah. even seven or eight years yeah. old, doing six, seven days a week. Do you have any thoughts on that? Has that bled into jiu-jitsu as well 
Yeah, even with our sport, it's not a sport uh, who give like scholarship, but it's still very popular because you don't see like uh, our, our sport is the sport who can guarantee future. So even like we're not a scholarship, so our sport is a sport that's very successful as a professor, as a competitor. Like the other martial arts, like wrestling in the high school, perform pretty good. You can get into college, but then it's over later on. So you don't have like older competing wrestlers or something. So then a lot of wrestlers, they go to MMA, but then no, you don't see so much like a private schools of a wrestling schools. The same you see at Jiu-Jitsu schools. Mm-hmm. Jiu-Jitsu make a very good like a marketing and establish themselves with a family that make uh, the competitions be very powerful, very successful. It's very fair sport as a com- to compete. So you're gonna fight with someone with your level, within your in your age and your group and your and in your weight class. Yeah. So it's very challenging for you and very fair. Yeah. You know, that's why it's attract kids to adults and, and olders, right? So and no matter how young or old is, you are, exactly, you're going to be matched up exactly. appropriately. So the challenges sometimes when you work with kids, you have to work with kids and the parents. Yeah. So there is a lot of expectation that the parents have and sometimes can over pressure the kids. Yeah. Because in the end, the kids, they want to make the parents proud. Sure. And if if the parents if they frustrate, we would be bad. And then one sooner or later they they will quit. Mm-hmm. So I have my kids training jujitsu. I don't coach my kids. Yeah. So my kids ask me when they they start asking, "Oh, daddy, are you asking your coach?" I say, "No, I'm not your coach. I'm your father." Yeah. There is five coaches in the gym, and they teach kids class. You have to fit with one of these to see which one you feel more comfortable with, and they will guide you your whatever you have to do. Yeah. My our relationship it's father and son. Yeah. So we go into the gym, we training. You teach me something, I give you thought, like I give you tips, like we trainings together. But I'm not coaching you. Right. You don't want me as a coach because I'm not nice with my, like I have to do <laughs> things that uh, the father cannot do it. And the relationship between father and coach would be mixed. Never we know when we meet a father, when it be the coach. Because the father and the coach, sometimes they have to battle. Is the battle with the son and father or the coach and son? A coach and father. Let's say like, mm. uh, because as a coach, I'm going to put so much pressure on the athlete. Yeah. Because I know he can handle you know, but also he's the one that we all under stress. His father's gonna be talk to me and say, hey, Leo, hey, I think he's going too much. And then I can listen and be watching, or I can say, no, no, don't worry, I'm watching. I know he can handle, or I can be more flexible. But I'm playing the father and the coach who's gonna support this kid. He has no someone can protect him. The father is the one who protects. Mm-hmm. The coach is the one that he was gonna push him for he give performance. Okay, father, like I, I don't handle anymore. Okay, so quit, let's go, let's do something else. Like your father has to be the one that it save you. It's like open arm, come on, like, okay, forget. Come on, no, it's too much for today or whatever. He has to be the one that hugs you yeah the coach is gonna be the one that wanna be kicking you i say hey you go you have to go you know so you have to do what you have to do yeah like i will see my athletes cry and i have to make he, they come back you know they share with me i don't think i can do it and then i have to make they believe but i know also the experience that they give me that how much that i can push if he really can see i'm not pushing 
Mm-hmm. You know, but I, I have I first as a coach, I have to change the way he see. If he don't see one opportunity to win over somebody else, I say, okay, so don't get the fight. Because you don't believe. We only fight if you will believe. We have to believe. Even if our chance was small, can be one. We must believe. They have motivations to push you to do something. Because you're gonna have you have a strategy, you have one shot. But if you don't believe and you don't see it, so that's why I know how to push. But the father is important because the father is my feedback about how his attitude in home, how his attitude in schools, how his attitude changing. Because as a coach, the competitions change so much kids' attitude. The connection is important. That's why both it's important. The father needs to know he has to be the father. No reward kids after, oh, if you beat the kids, I give this. Or if you win, give. Like, that's the wrong thing because you reward results. Right. Instead of the hard work. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So then if you reward results, like for you, the most important results. So you're going to learn how to cheat. He's going to learn how to do things. He's going to learn to give you what you expect. You know, in the end, what you want is a hard work. That's going to be the, the more important. When the father and the coach in the same page together, we can get the best performance for the kid. Yeah, that's interesting. I see it a lot in soccer with parents. Oh, if you score a goal, you get 20 bucks, 50 bucks. I'm going to take you to a special dinner. But the real work is the training part of it. And that's what leads to the results. And sometimes you're going to miss and sometimes you're going to score. But for me, my philosophy is the same. If you put in the work to be prepared for that moment, whether you succeed or not in the individual moment is not really the point. In my heart of hearts, believe over time, you keep putting in the work, keep getting ready for those moments. Eventually, all those moments are going to start going your way if you keep at it. Yeah, I agree. Now, you have a lot of schools in the Brazilian favelas, I noticed on the website. What does that mean to you? I grew up over there. So it's part of my life, you know, like we share the same school. We share, you know, lunch in the the recess. So I grew up with those kids, you know, like, and when I opened my first school back in the time in Rio de Janeiro, so those kids was a part of my, was my first students, you know? And like be able to give back to the to those community, it's like a give the chance for those kids became a world champion in their life. You know, we have so much kids that became a man and then became like living in different countries and they support their family, you know. Mm-hmm. So we know how important it is. We have to always like to look at the community that you are and question yourself like how the jiu-jitsu can help the people around you because uh, that is people who can pay that is people who cannot pay mm-hmm. you know and but everybody needs jujitsu so like open your school for those that they need make the jujitsu be the resource or the bridge between like to unite people you have to be the filter you have to be the one to protect all the values that your your academy are this that's why like i don't try to be a franchise otherwise i had to make everybody work is the same way with the same environment the same uh, attitude and i i believe that different cultures need different needs mm-hmm. so they're facing different issues so that's why every schools that we have 
First, we look for a local instructor or we look for the instructor who can fit what the, the city needs. Every city community needs something that the jiu-jitsu can help. We just have to match the professors going to teach over there, be able to give what the community needs. And when you have this, then uh, that's why every school has like a different like uh, personality because uh, he provide what's to fixing what the community needs. Yeah. yeah. Now, Checkmat is the name of your organization that oversees uh-huh. all these dojos. And this began while you were still competing, but then you really leaned into it once you retire from competition. Why did you call it Checkmat? Uh, we need a name for this competition. We didn't have a name. We, like The only thing I knew was that I don't want to use my own name right. as a team because I wanted something that uh, bigger than anyone. And then with all random names, I think it was my wife came up with uh, Checkmate, you know, and then I said, no, it's so weird name. But at the same time, always they associate jujitsu as a chess because uh, like how clever was this martial arts, how like uh, strategies, you know, a lot of points that it was always associated with the chess. And then like, looks funny, the name, you know, and then like we start, okay, but I will have to come up with the name. And then I just say, okay, let's take this name as a sample. And then I took checkmate. And then we, we take the, before it was a checkmate. So we take okay. the, the E and then we became just checkmate. What's the meaning? So it's uh, king and dead. But now when you take the E, it will be, it's king and mat as a tatami. And they say, oh my God. Okay. So sounds good. Okay, let's play with this. Let's come up. And then we come up with the logo. Like in three days, like we come up with the name, logo, and everything. We said, I said, look, guys, we have to come up with the name because it doesn't matter what name we take. I know it's our identity. The name is important. But the more important is what, how is going to make the name become strong. The person is going to be behind the name. So the values that we have, what we're going to do will be important for the name became big. Right. And that's when I say, so it doesn't matter what name. Let's just pick this name as example, Checkmate. Doesn't matter, it's a funny name, it's long. So I don't think, I also, I don't like it, but I think we work, you know, because what's going to make is our work, it's our job. Right. And then with this speech, we start making the example and then, okay, let's take Checkmate. And they became, okay, let's do Checkmate, Checkmate. Agree, agree, agree. Okay, let's go. And then. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. When I saw the logo with the chess piece, then it all came together for me. I was like, yeah. oh, it's a combination of the mat and checkmate. Yeah. And I, I really like the name because it links up with yeah. the way you yeah. approach yeah. the sport, which yeah. is that it's a high thinking yeah. endeavor. Yeah. I like that because everybody thinks of jujitsu as being a physical strength-based sport. Yeah. yeah. But man, you get in there, you can be against the skinniest, weakest person. But if they know a lot more than you do, they will tie you in knots yeah. and have their yeah. way with you. Yeah. Yeah. With the name, we bring a different perspective. A lot of people back in that time was using like animals or things like a lot of things that show like how tough is. Mm-hmm. We come up with something that more like the idea is to show something more simple, more smart, you know, like a strategy some like more intellectual, but both have the same goals. Everybody wants to, you know, finish the opponent, make the opponent quit, you mm-hmm. know, and at the same, in the end, we always very gentlemen. 
you know, like they shake mm-hmm. hands. Yeah. So come up with a big, good name. Like we was lucky. Okay. Now what's it like to start a business in America as an immigrant? You know, the funny story, because uh, my first like uh, U.S. trip, I was traveling to United States and competing. And in 2005, I competed one of the biggest competition, ADCC. I was in California and I was coaching uh, Vitor Belfort. I was coaching some uh, MMA athletes. It was the first time that I had opportunity to open a school in California. We have some conversations, so we start making the process. And a couple of years later, uh, I got my visa canceled and I was, I wasn't deported, but they canceled my visa. They sent me back. I was not allowed to, to come to the United States. It was three years that I was in Brazil, traveling to Europe. You can travel everywhere, but not U.S. Wow. So I was destroyed. Like I was coming here to U.S. to coach one of MMA athletes to be his camp. Is this and still Belfort? No, oh. a different, a different guy. I was going to Denver. He he hired me to be his jiu-jitsu coach. So my flight stops in, in Houston. Okay. And then the immigration, I was asking where I'm going. I said, look, I'm going to this place. I'll be there. I'll be in the training camp uh, for this guy. And then he started making weird questions like, uh, okay, I have to take you to a different room. Oh. So they take me to a different room and then start say, look, I know what you, what are you doing here? I just want you, you know, I say, I say <laughs> oh my God. I said, I don't know what, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm telling that uh, I, I'm going to this place training jiu-jitsu because this guy, he's America, he's going to fight. Yeah. I'll be, I mean, I'm going to help, I'm, I'm helping you guys to be, to performance. You know, I come here to this. Say, no. So I want you to tell the truth. I say, it was a whole day. And then oh. take me, every time they take me to a different room. Every room there we go is more smaller, smaller, smaller. And then he read my rights. You know, like I was... I was in shock because I didn't have the English that I have today. Reading your rights like they're going to arrest you? As a, yes. I say, hey, you are under federal law. So like we're going to make an interview, whatever you say, everything is going to be recorded. I say, look, I speak in Portuguese. I can say something can make me in trouble. In my mind, it was just like Guantanamo, like, a, you know, like a, say, man, like I'm not criminal. I'm not doing anything. Right. And, like, and I'm telling you, I'm going to call those guys. Ask them. Yeah. Like, I'm going to teach them. Yeah. And then I was trying to say, say, look, I was here a couple of weeks ago. I was with my family in the Disneyland. I came back to my family. <laughs> I don't want to move my to U.S. I'm not working illegal. So I'm coming. I came a couple of weeks ago. I, I was with my family. Why not, why not stay? I came back. So I live in Brazil. I yeah. want to live in Brazil. So right now I come here. I'm going to spend like a couple of weeks training this guy, which is going to fight. I don't know what you what you can see in your computer, but you let me know for I protect myself because I don't know. Mm-hmm. Honestly, I don't know. I say, yeah, no, we're giving like, uh, you have to tell me. I say, I, I cannot <laughs> tell what I don't know. In the end, he fingerprinted. He asked me if I was uh, like, uh, he saw my passport. Like I was traveling so much. He asked, oh, have you been traveling? Who who paid for all your trips? I say, I paid my trips. So, and then he was putting my name in the Interpol or oh. everything to see if I have, if I was wanted in one of the country. So then nothing, then nothing because I was a jiu-jitsu guy. Like, you know, like, 
nothing wrong and then like uh, <clears throat> in the end they take my bags they watch they see just keys and closings like a training clothes gloves mouthpiece and then they say okay but uh uh, I will, we change your tickets. You're gonna come back tonight. So they send me back. You know, oh. uh, the same night. You can make two phone calls. One to the embassy that say that you're not gonna be in the United States, and you're gonna call to someone to tell that you come back to Brazil. So I call the embassy. I call my wife. You know, to say, hey, I'm coming back early. I don't know what's going on. So they cancel my visa. I came back. I say, look, I'm here for all day answer your questions yeah so i want to know why i'm not allowed to be in the united states right he said look I, ha I don't have this answer as i know you are too much for the for the visa you have mm -hmm. i say look i said look visiting too often huh visiting the united no, states too united often states. because united states like when as a brazilian you apply for that one only one visa that i apply mm -hmm. And that's what I explained to them. I said, he, he was trying to tell me that I have too much status for my visa. Okay. And I say, I say, look, when I come to the United States, I don't choose what visa I want. I tell what, what I will do. So when I come to the United States, I always fight. It's always connected to jujitsu. So I fight or I have fun with my family. So they choose what visa they give to me. Mm -hmm. My visa is B1 and B2. B1 and B2, it's a, it's a tourist visa. And you can be in conference. You can be in kind of business without making money. Mm -hmm. So I don't know like uh, what is wrong, but I don't, what are you guys are trying to say? They say, look, uh, we have to cancel your visa. You have to apply for another visa. Okay. But they didn't give me the right answer. They didn't tell me. They just say, look, uh, you're not able to be here. You have to change your visa. So, well, what kind of visa should I change? Because when I apply for the visa, I'm going to apply for the same visa. They not. So what visa should I know? Because if I have a different visa, I should know. Sure. But they didn't give me those information. They just sent me back. And then for three years now, they didn't let me apply. So I make application every year, but they de deny, decline, decline, decline. And four years later, Finally, they sent me to the interview in in uh, American embassy in Brazil. So I went to the embassy and they uh, have a two consul interview me. He asked, oh, what was the problem that happened before over there? I said, yeah, that's that's what I want to know. Yeah. Because for three years, I my athletes competing competitions in the United States. I cannot coach them because I'm not allowed. I'm not welcome. I want to know why I'm not welcome when I did nothing wrong. So you guys have to tell me what's wrong for what I can fix because... All the world's competitions, it's in California. I cannot travel to California. So in the end, they never told me what happened, but they give me the same visas before. And <laughs> I say, I say, look, with the same visa, maybe they're gonna, they're gonna, they're gonna do that again. Yeah. So after that, I was coming to United States, and I always my trip with two, three hours between like connections because they take me to this room, make me the same questions again. Every time. Every time for oh. three. And they take me like two hours to, to explain always the same thing. They are like always talking the same thing. And I, and I was trying, like I say, look, I don't know what you guys see, but I, I never did nothing wrong. I say, look, how long, like every time this happened, when this is gonna finish, you say, this only finish if you one day you became citizenship. If you get a, the green card, I say, hmm. And then I got a lawyer. I say, hey, what do I have to do to get uh, the green card? He said, yeah. I say, Leo, you have a, such a strong name. You can get a green card in very quick. Yeah. But I say, but the green card, you must live in US. 
I said, look, right now, the way this sport changed, I, I want to live in the U.S. Mm -hmm. I said, okay, so you should apply. I apply five days, they give to me. So it was four years just trying to visit, yeah. and then in five days, you get the green card. Yeah. That is crazy. Taking, the process took me a little bit, but the moment that he, he applied, five days, I got answered. Right. It was a three years that I was training my athletes to perform in the U.S., and I could, I could not follow them. Right. So it was, it was tough, yeah. Oh. It was crazy. At that point, you do move to the U.S. Yeah. And then what other challenges do you face trying to build the yeah. business? Yeah, because they, I have a no clue how to build a business. I knew that I wanted to be in Long Beach because that's what the word competition is. I have a friend that was opening a CrossFit box and he said, Leo, I have a space that can sublease for you have your mats. I said, okay, but how do I open the company? This? He said, okay, I help you. So he helped me to sublease it. So, and then I met Frank and Alvin. They was well, the angel that in my life here in US. So they was show me all the resource. How should I open the LLC, how like apply for the business, how business licenses, how the process tax. And I was telling, I say, I don't want you guys to do to me. I want to learn because that's my personal. I like to learn, mm -hmm. but they have been the one that are like my angels here in the United States, like uh, help me to any, all the questions that I have regarding business and Though they was the one that like always patient try to tell me because it's very different the, the way that we do things in Brazil. Right. They my brother, my brother <laughs> that yeah. I find here. Yeah. I am still blown away that they gave you such a hard time for so many years to visit here, especially looking backwards where you become a citizen. You live here in America now. You have more than 100 branches across the U.S. Uh, that's but back in that time, I have three students that was living here. And one of these was my brother. What are some of the other major athletes in the sport that you've worked with? Because a few names, and I know you're not a name dropper, mm -hmm. but a few names have just popped up in the conversation. I mean, yeah. These are high level guys. Uh, yeah. Uh, in MMA, I was coaching Vitor Belfort. Mm -hmm. That was open opportunities to know, to coaching MMA. I was making, working the camps and coaching um, BJ Penn mm -hmm. back in the time. And then Damian Mai was my students. And then I, I was coaching like in some of those fights. Right. That's more like as an MMA. As a jiu-jitsu, like the biggest name in the sport, Marcus Buchecha. Mm -hmm. So he's our black belt. And now he's do fight MMA. He's a very well recognized name in the sport. Then Lucas Leite, João Assis, Pancho. There are a lot of guys that came to US that's multiple times world champion. Those guys, they, they bring a lot of others champions, but directly for me, it was like, those was the most, the right. first, the first important names, right? What was your best moment as a coach? As a coach, nowadays I train so much at a coach to be a coach, mm. right? So I'm not the person directly as a coach. Right. So I have, I'm in that different like situation right now. But as a coach, when I see Bushesha achieving his title that he was in like his last world championship and being the corner, oh, it's nice. Cause you see like worth it. Like although he came through the camp, worth it. Cause he wins. When and now I teach coach to be the coach. So my last uh, competition when I saw Jansen 
beating uh, Tainan Dalpra, which have been unbeatable for 60 fights. And then he beat the guy in the final, the words. Mm -hmm. was one of the biggest moments because also I saw his coaching, which is his brother, being the coach that I was training. Right. The one thing is like everybody needed me as a coach. So I'm, I'm the process that I'm doing right now. It's a building coach. Yeah. Because if I build correct, good coach, I build the, I multiply athletes and competitors. If I'm the only one can make athletes is one thing, but if I can make coach make, so that's why I focus so much in coach right now. So when I see his brother, which is Jonathan, who coached in my academy, being his coach during the camp and be his coach in the corner and make his brother win the tournament against the guy who was unbeatable for 60th match. I say, okay, I'm doing something right. Yeah. I really like that because it's a whole different skill set yeah. to coach coaches to then one thing go coaching. One thing you coach, one thing you teach people how to coach. It's like, because when you fight, it's all about yourself. You have to be very selfish because uh, it's about how much can you perform every single day. Mm -hmm. Coach, you have to be very empathy for the person. I, I have to create that empathy for my athlete to learn. I need to know him better than he knows to, to feel, to give him what he needs to perform. Mm -hmm. But when you're coach of the coach, it's like how to, you can teach someone to create this empathy. Mm -hmm. That is like, man, that's... It's, it's next level. Yeah, that's next level. Because you, you have to teach people to be empathy. Mm -hmm. You know? Oh my God, yeah. And, and when you see this happen, I say, okay, that's it. So I, then now we have the formula. Now we have to just replicate. Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. Earlier in the interview, you said jujitsu is choice consequence, just like life is choice consequence. What are some of the other things that you take from jujitsu and bring it into life or things that you're teaching coaches on how to help their athletes make those connections between Lessons learned on the mat and taking that into life. Yeah. We, we're never going to stop in this podcast. If you, if you, <laughs> if you start like a, naming like all the benefits that we had and how much can we associate, you know, but I, I, that's one of the things that I always said to everybody is like, everybody wants to succeed in jujitsu. As a first, as a white belt, everybody wants to first survive. After survive, they want to learn techniques to to control and then they want to work submissions so that is steps and like it's a individual journey because mm -hmm. you have to face your fears you have to learn things that sometimes you don't want to touch you know you have to learn about your comfortable zone and your weakness and you have to face your weakness regarding to have a balance in your game i always make a question today and say look if you compete against yourself what should be the strategy? Mm. So that strategy, that's what you have to be practicing more because that's your weakness. It's going to be uncomfortable, but that's going to give you confidence and develop yourself in this. And that's it for everything. Like as a kid, everybody scary off of the, with the lights until they turn on the lights. But I have to get inside the room, the dark room and find the, 
the outlet, the plug for, for a turn on the light. Mm-hmm. I need face my, my fears. If I don't face, it's like I just put boundaries and make me smaller. So jujitsu is the same thing, you know? So uh, more, more I face my fears, my weakness, it's more I also expand my confidence. And competition, people say, ah, but I don't like compete. I say, yeah, because make you face. It's not about winning or lose, but show so much about how you deal with control emotional. But that's why competition is nice. I say, we usually don't like the competition because we think in the result. Mm-hmm. We don't think in the process. But every day you compete, you're going to work at school, you have a test, you have, a, you have something that you have to, you have to perform. But uh, no matter what, you have to perform. But uh, it's the discipline that and the time you put there. And, you, and competition is a good like a time for you see like the way that you commitment to compete, you start thinking different because now you worry about, you look into strategy, you look into your game, you take care of your, what you eat, you take care of your rest, you look into training your weakness, you look into strategy to compete, you hold, you learn so much about like things that make you be excited, that make that you calm down. So you have to, because everybody has to be, you cannot be too calm, you cannot be too excited. So you have to find the balance to perform. Mm-hmm. You want to defeat you want the body being the in the balance of adrenaline that you because it will help you. If you have no fear, no adrenaline, you're gonna do whatever it takes. You know, like you don't care. But when you care, and what make you care is fears. What make you cares it's the adrenaline. So you have to put the adrenaline in the right dose. So the process of competition, learning how you control mentally. Like what you have to read, you have to listen, the people around you make you be more strong. But also at the same time, what can make you calm? You yeah. know, so there are, there are a lot of things that in the athletes I say, hey, look, if the internet, like uh, it stresses so much, don't use internet in the, in the, in the week, in the fight week, mm-hmm. you know? So you have to learn so much about not just uh, skills, but also mentally to control yourself. And then when the competition happens, it's about how you perform, how you perform what you be training for. Mm-hmm. And then the after is the feedback. Okay, so what was your mistake? Because it doesn't matter what you win or if you lose, you need the feedback to develop yourself for the next. So what's going to make you better? You know, sometimes people win, they think they don't have to, to but that is. So there's always a situation that you have to be focusing with. So... Competition is something that uh, helps so much to people face a lot of things mentally and physically to be make they also for their life. Because uh, one day you're going to prepare yourself for the test or for the job opportunity, for the interview. And you have to, the more prepared you are for that interview, for that day, it's more you perform. You're going to perform. I couldn't agree more. And I run a test prep school, right? For the test to get into college. And I don't like the tests themselves because I don't think they're great indicators of who you are, what you're capable of, your intelligence. But I think the process can be transformative Mm -hmm. because it is this big moment with pressure and you have to prepare for it Mm -hmm. in the same way. And if you flip it and you're not so focused on the result, you're focused on the process. And then just see the result as feedback. Mm. Did the preparation work? You can 
flip that dynamic and make it something where you learn lessons for life in how to prepare for pressure filled situations. Do you bring in expert help, whether that's winning a jujitsu match or performing on this test? Can you absorb that information? Can you be disciplined leading up to this Mm -hmm. pressure moment? And then can you face your fears surrounding whatever this big pressure moment is to perform under pressure? Uh, To me, those are skills that serve you again and again and again, if you can become comfortable with that process. Yeah. And that's what we do in the gym, because Mm -hmm. we create a stress moment for you perform but in the safe environment. Mm-hmm. So then we, you can be learning how to get stress and perform, stress and perform, stress and perform. And then as long as you, you're dealing with the stress, we making the stress get bigger. And then like, and then you now realize, but you start enjoying the fact that the challenges, mm-hmm. and then like you start like consistently to how to control yourself and perform pretty good in the, those challenges. And that's you take for, of course, for different areas of your life. Right. Because once you like the challenge and you like the pressure, then you can really excel in those moments. Even if it's just having to do an interview for a job. But uh, that's the most, the big, one of the biggest fear is speaking public. Oh yeah. You know, people shake it just like I was like, as a kid, I was a toddler. I have a very, a big problem to communicate myself, to speak. Nowadays, I speak English. I go <laughs> traveling the world, speaking different language, of talking to people like uh, for a thousand people. The confidence that I have about what I will speak, like that's also making me feel comfortable to, to speak. I'm not going to be talking about something that I don't know. That's right. going to give me, but that's the point. The jiu-jitsu gives this ability to be in the safe environment and that we control the level of the stress mm-hmm. for you became over and over again, more confident in the stress that you're facing. Now, as you move through this journey of your life, right? To overcome all these different obstacles mm-hmm. as a, competitor and have these different mentors that guide you through it. And then back down to zero with starting a business and same thing, overcoming these obstacles. Now that you're on the other side of it, succeeding as both a competitor and a business owner, how are your kids' lives different from how you grew up? Mm -hmm. I think the biggest difference, they have a lot of things that I didn't have in my time. But they deserve because of the how behaved they, they are and how responsible they use all these spoiled things. Mm-hmm. I sometimes I make a joke that oh, you got your kids, you guys so spoiled. Because I didn't have this. Right. But at the same time, they're very responsible with everything what they have. So that's the reason also I give. Because I have no problem to tell them no. I have no problem to say it's not the time. I'm just blessed to give them what they not just they need, but also what they want. A lot of things that they want, it's not in the time. And they don't want it. They understand and they wait. But uh, they have everything what they desire. But uh, the reason is because they're very good. They behave and they're responsible. But I think it was the same thing with me and my parents. I think my parents give everything what was able for they give it to me. 
I think the things that uh, they didn't give it to me was because they could not afford or because they wasn't on the right timing. The relationship that I have with my son, my kids, is different than my father has with me. Mm. So my father was the guy who never speaks so much. I, I speak, I'm very verbal with my kids about everything. Uh, I don't want to be his friends. I tell, I say, look, I'm your father. I have no problem to you dislike me. You know, I don't do things because of to like me. I do this because I love you and because it's you need. If you understand and make me be your friend, would be great. Mm-hmm. But I have no problem to not be your friend, but I, I know what kind of man you're going to be. Right. That's my, the point. So we have a lot of conversation. We have a very good relationship. So we talk about a lot of different things. So that we bring like a lot of subject to conversation that uh, divide people, politics and different things. And then we bring this together for we, we see the point of view, you know, and like we have a lot of those conversation and like, I'm very, very happy to see the man and the woman that they becoming. Yeah. 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 They're good kids. Like I said, like my father didn't talk so much, mm-hmm. but one day he, like I learned so much the way he was acting. So yeah. I was very behave my parents, especially my father. My other brother, not the Leandro, the youngster, the middle, he always challenges so much. One day he was challenging my father so much. He was starting arguing, talking. He wants to speak more than loud than my father. My father said, hey, sit down. Let me teach you something. When I saw this, my father, he usually, he doesn't say anything. I said, man, what he's going to say? I was, look, my father went to the kitchen. He come back with two eggs. One is a chicken egg, one quail egg. Okay. And then he opened your hands. My brother opened the hands. He put the chicken eggs in one hand. He put the quail eggs in the other hand. And he say, what's the difference? And my, my brother was looking those eggs and I can see he's like, I don't understand. And me and my other brother behind my father was laughing because we also, we don't, we don't get it, the joke. Yeah. I said, man, what, what daddy was trying to say? And then I say, what's the difference? And my brother say, I don't know. I say, like one big, one small. I say, yes. And it was very, it was very like a rude the way he said, but I say, okay, that's my balls. That's your balls. When your balls, when you are, Egg became bigger than mine. You can talk for me like that. Until <laughs> this, that's my house. It's my rules. Mm-hmm. You know, and after this, like we laughing. Me and my brother <laughs> yeah. was laughing behind. But uh, he was quiet. Like uh, I got, I say, oh my God. Like it's my brother after that, he never against anything of my father. Mm-hmm. He understood that uh, at that point, my father's going to open the door and say, go. If you want to live your life, go live your life, you know? At that point, he understood. And then I was laughing because I said, oh, my God, I want to get my son. When my son started challenging me, I want to do the same thing. <laughs> but my son was very good. I never did. I never did it. So he always was very quiet. Okay. <laughs> but it was, uh, was fun. But that was a memory that I have so much. That's great. <laughs> well, Leo, with all you have done and all your past successes, what is next? For Leo Vieira. Yeah, with the position of uh, one championship as a vice president of grappling. So we're trying to build like the grappling sport. The challenge is like uh, it's uh, the industry is a lot of striking. MMA, boxing, 
Muay Thai kickboxing. So we are the grappling discipline inside this platform. So and grappling can be very boring for those who don't understand. And it can be very attractive for those that understand. Mm. But we with a huge, big audience, which is people sometimes never training anything before, they want to understand something very easy. Mm-hmm. So the challenge is introduce grappling to a striking audience. It's like introduce soccer for NBA fans. Mm. One sport is longer, slow, sometimes zero, zero, and you can have so much fun because the game was so good. But, uh, and the NBA is point behind the point, point after point, point after point very fast. So that's the challenge that we face. But uh, have it been good so far because uh, we have the best athletes grappling in the world. We have they fighting in the cage. So in the rules that that show aggressivity, that show submission. So very easy to understand. And also we using the grappling inside one championship to educate the audience to how to understand how the judge criteria is the way that they perform as an MMA. So the judge criteria is about submission, is about like we don't have damage. The damage we have is how aggression we are for the other opponent. We build the rules that it's very aggressive as a grappling. So they look into the whole time about the submission because that's what's making the, the score points. It being very successful. So every show we have one or two bouts in the card. So our last one in the United States was in Denver and it was very successful. The feedback was amazing because the U.S. will have a huge like grappling community mm-hmm. and we coming back in next year again with four events in the United States. That is a uh, opportunity for we build our own like grappling event at the same time. We're going to have one only grappling show and we're going to still perform as a grappling side the one championship. So there's, we're going to keep more active like all the, the grappling athletes. So it would be something very nice. Leo, this is very exciting. I know from speaking to your partners that building grappling into a huge televised sport is a long held dream of yours. And you've partnered with the perfect organization to make that happen. If there are two people on this planet that can level up grappling into a mainstream sport, it's you and Chatri, the owner of one championship. You both possess that rare combination of decades of martial arts experience combined with incisive business acumen. I love Chachi's vision with one championship to showcase multiple martial arts disciplines and then the stories that they share about their athletes. His vision for martial arts, it's amazing. You know, his life story, it's uh, unbelievable. And like he's a, a person behind not just one championship, but also behind the jiu-jitsu to make the, the grappling became very popular inside the one championship, inside this platform. Well, I know you have a, you're flying out of the country today. You have a flight to catch. If anybody wants to learn more about Leo Vieira, where can they follow you? I think it's easy to follow me like through Instagram with my, it's my name, Leo Vieira BJJ. It's the easy way to connect with me. One of my schools in Seal Beach, so in Dojo or the Checkmate headquarters in Signal Hill. So those are the two schools that I'm always around. Okay. And I will put that in the show notes. So we've got at Leo Vieira BJJ, and then we've got at 
check map hq and then at dojo seal beach at one championship yeah, yeah. okay we're gonna get all that in the show notes if anybody Great. wants to follow any or all of those you can leo thank you so much thanks. for making the time because i know your schedule is jam-packed thanks, i mean thanks. listener he is literally leaving to go fly around the world for the next month so thank you so much yeah thank you thanks so much for opening the platform invite me and make this spread you know and that's it thanks Thank you for listening to the Nick Stanley podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, rate five stars, and leave a review. The best way to support this podcast is to visit our sponsors in the description. Follow on Instagram at Nick Stanley at N-I-C-K-S-T-A-N-D-L-E-A. Ask questions. Don't accept the status quo. Be curious. Be curious.